I'm excited to, to continue in our series in the book of Acts. You can be turning to Acts chapter 4, which is where we will be spending our time this morning. If you haven't been with us uh, as we've been going through this book, let me give you a little synopsis of the first couple chapters of Acts. Right before we get to Acts, Jesus has been crucified on the cross and his disciples go and they are worried and Jesus is raised from the dead and he comes to them and says, I have a message for you, a job for you that you will go into all nations and proclaim the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that you will be my witnesses as you see the subtext for this series. And Jesus rises and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells his disciples and they start preaching and proclaiming the great news of Jesus, that he has conquered sin and death and rose from the grave and they are inviting people to come and believe. And last week, Pastor Will walked us through Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John heal a lame beggar who has been lame for 40 years, and they use this gift and they heal him, which causes some issues and problems for them. In fact, what we will see in Acts chapter 4 is that this is the first moment of opposition that the disciples face after Jesus's resurrection, that they'll be taken into custody, and this shouldn't come as a surprise to them. In fact, Jesus told them in John 15 that if they persecute me, Jesus, you can be sure that they will also persecute you. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, suffering is a badge of the true Christian. And what we'll see this morning is that, yes, persecution happens and people don't really like the news of Jesus, but when we are truly enthralled with what God has done for us, we don't place much stock in our earthly circumstances. Instead of focusing on persecution this morning, which just really sounds like a fun topic for us, we will focus on how those early Christians responded in their boldness. And as boldness is what the early church needed in their pre-Christian society, you can be sure that boldness is also what we need as 21st century Christians in our post-century, post-Christian society. So in Acts chapter 4, I will invite you for the reading of God's word. We will read all of, uh, not all, most of Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. So I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. And we read... And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, there were rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who are of the high priestly family. 
And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all and of you, to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because, because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now the Lord looked upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you again as people who 
maybe discouraged, overwhelmed, uncertain about life's circumstances. Father, we pray that you would calm our spirits, that you would draw our ears and our hearts to pay attention to the text, that as we hear from you this morning, that you would do a work to change our hearts, that we might look more like Jesus. We pray for your help this morning. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. So to summarize all that happens is Peter and John, they heal this man and news travels to the religious leaders. And I love the phrasing that it uses in verse two. It says, they became greatly annoyed, irritated, bothered because they are proclaiming the name of Jesus. And as Pastor Will showed us last week is they are so caught up in the idea that they are teaching Jesus that they missed the point of what Peter and John did. That they had healed a man who had been lame for 40 years, that they had on these blinders, that they couldn't see the good that God was doing. And so they come to Peter and John, they bring them before the council and they say, hey, we saw what you did. They're like, we're really concerned what the people are going to do. So we're just going to tell you, be quiet. Like that's the punishment that they have for them to just, hey, we'll let you go, but be really quiet. Don't tell anyone else about this. Don't tell people about Jesus. And Peter and John respond in the only way they know how in proclaiming the gospel. What we'll see in their response, we'll focus most of our time in verses 23 through 31, is the need for boldness, not only in the early church, but in our hearts today. And to give you a a definition of boldness, it's the courage to be open about our faith regardless of what happens. We see in verses 25 through 26, that they quote from Psalm 2, who through your mouth, or they say by David, through your Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against you and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed person, Jesus. Their response to the persecution, their response to The opposition, the source of their boldness is they quote scripture, which is just a great thing to do when you find yourself in difficult times and circumstances to quote scripture. And this psalm in particular is a messianic psalm proclaiming that one day this hero king will come and the nations will fight against him. And this passage This psalm is most fully fulfilled in Jesus. That as Jesus came, the rulers were against him. It says in verse 27 that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and all the peoples of Israel came together to crucify Jesus. That the nations, they rage against him, but they plot in vain. 
that Peter and John come and see that not only is this passage fulfilled, Psalm 2 in Acts 4, but it's also an ongoing promise that people will rage against King Jesus and his followers. This is why we need boldness if we are going to participate in God's mission. Because the world is in rebellion against its rightful king, King Jesus. And truthfully, that is the main obstacle to God's mission, the problem which we must overcome. If we don't understand that, that the biggest obstacle to the spread of God's kingdom is people rebelling against Jesus, saying we don't want to submit to your authority, we could fall in traps of a host of other things that distract us from the mission of God. The gospel doesn't need us to soup it up and make it more attractive. We don't need to show people that we aren't stick-in-the-mud Christians, that our lives reflect that we're just as cool as everyone else. We just have Jesus, that we aren't boring. The main problem the world has with Christianity is not that it's uncool. It's not that Christianity is boring, but it's the claim that Jesus is king. Or we might fall trapped to believe that we need to be really smart and really intellectual and think of all these arguments to stump anyone who comes with objections to Christianity. But the comfort is, is that you don't have to be extremely smart, have a higher education to be a part of God's mission. Because we read in verse 13 of chapter 4, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. Our education, our intelligence doesn't matter because people's main problem with God is not intellectual. It's moral. They do not like hearing that the rightful king of the world says that you are sinning and breaking his law. They hate that. And that is their objection. That is why the world is in rebellion against King Jesus. That is what Psalm 2 says. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the kings of the earth gather themselves? Because they want to be ruling instead of allowing the rightful king to rule over their lives. And what's needed most from us in advancing God's kingdom to the ends of the earth to continue that mission that Jesus gave his disciples and all disciples that followed is not relevance or intelligence, it's boldness. We don't need to be like Amy Poehler and Mean Girls and say, I'm not a regular mom, I'm a cool mom. What we need to do is boldly declare Jesus and his good news. We need to be bold because the world is in rebellion against our king. So that is our need for boldness. We need to be boldness because the world is raging and rebelling against King Jesus, but we'll also see the basis of our boldness. This 
prayer, so this section, verses 23 through 31, is a prayer from the other Christians at the time when Peter and John come back and say, hey, here's what happens, and we still proclaim the message. They're saying, God, make us bold. We see the need to be bold because people do not like the message of Jesus. So this prayer not only tells us why we need to be bold, but how it is that you and I and those early Christians can be bold. The basis of our boldness is not us. It's not some inner strength within us. And it's important to emphasize that because anytime the Bible talks about courage or confidence or anything of that kind of nature, it never says that it's grounded in us as individuals. That the Bible doesn't say Daniel is bold because of things he did. No, Daniel's bold because of the faith he had in God in spite of being thrown into the lion's den. It never says that boldness or confidence or courage is grounded in us. But instead, the basis of our boldness is not in ourselves. The basis of our boldness is in God. More specifically, it's in our sovereign God. The first words out of the disciples' mouth when they hear that the religious leaders are coming after Peter and John is to say, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign God. And in this prayer, they go on to describe God's sovereignty in three important ways. First, we see it in that God is sovereign in creating. If you look at verse 24, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. This is the starting place in the Bible for the Bible. And it's also the starting place for our boldness that God created everything that exists. This is a statement that the Bible repeats over and over again, that God is the creator of all things. That he is the rightful ruler over all things because he made everything. And I think it's clear that this is something we need to be reminded of over and over again because of the number of times the Bible says that God created all things over and over again. But whenever the Bible speaks of God being a creator of all things, it's not simply reminding us that he is the origin point of the universe, that he's the one that started all things, although that is true. It's also reminding us of God's power. The Bible is reminding us that there's nothing in the universe that is more powerful than God. Because he created everything. So everything is at least less powerful than he is. So that means that there is nothing in this world that can knock God off his throne. There's nothing that can challenge his ruling over the world. Now how does that truth, that God is the creator of all things, provide a basis for our boldness? Well, God's sovereignty over creation means that we have nothing to fear. As we sang this morning when we were reminded from the scriptures that God is for us, that he is on our side. And although the world is in constant rebellion against King Jesus and 
people are going to respond negatively when we are open about our faith. When we face this negativity, this hostility, this opposition, we don't have to fear the response of others because they can do no ultimate harm to us. Because God is over all things. That we don't fear what other people can do because by the blood of Jesus we have been reconciled to this all-powerful God that we have a relationship to him. That the Bible refers to God as our good father and like any good father, a good father protects and cares for his children. Our God cares and protects his children that nothing happens without him allowing it. And being in Christ the one who created the heavens and the earth and all things, he is our help. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, the last part of that is, who can be against us? Meaning, who cares if the nations and the Gentiles rage against God because he is more powerful than all of them combined? That truth should bring great comfort to us. The second way we see God's sovereignty through this is through speaking. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the foundational truths of Christianity that our God is a speaking God. It's in fact how he started the creation of all things. God said, let there be light. Let there be darkness. Let there be earth and sky and land. God spoke and all things came to be, but God didn't just speak the universe into existence. He also revealed himself to us, and he revealed his purpose for humanity. And because we believe the Bible is the word of God, the all-powerful creator, it means that it is true that it is authoritative, and that it will be fulfilled all the promises that are in it. This is the point of the early Christians quoting Psalm 2, that they're proclaiming that the words David wrote over a thousand years earlier has come true in Jesus' crucifixion, that he has sovereignly spoken through his word. And now, because what was spoken by David has come true, that they rage against the anointed, the rightful king, Jesus, that we can have confidence. This brings a basis for our boldness because God sovereignly is sovereignly speaking that we can be certain about the message, that he's told us exactly what it is to do. He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That God told us, I want you to go to the ends of the earth proclaiming the message of Jesus. And you can do this because everything promised in the Old Testament is being fulfilled or has been fulfilled through Jesus. That it said that there would come a king in Genesis 3 who would be killed but he would rise again, conquering all sin and death, that we should find great comfort, that we don't have to worry 
if the message of the Bible is true. We don't have to worry if Jesus is a way to God or the way to God. That we don't have to doubt if Christianity is a truth that works for me or the truth for everyone. That we don't have to question is if Christianity provides a good life or if it is the good life. Because the Bible tells us in all certainty that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, because God has sovereignly said so. Because of the truths of scriptures, we can have confidence that God has never made a mistake, that he's in fact told us what is going to happen. We can take confidence because God has sovereignly spoken to us. The third way in which we can find a basis for boldness in God's sovereignty is in his governing. Verses 27 through 28 says, Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. Now, sometimes we can get scared of that word predestined, and I'll let you ask your questions of Pastor Will when he returns of his vacation about predestined. But what these verses are driving at is that Herod and Pilate and the religious leaders and all who were heading to crucify Jesus, that it didn't happen because things weren't going to plan. It's not because things were out of control. It's not that God didn't know what was going on. No, in fact, God had everything under control and things were going exactly to plan. It means that God's sovereignty is governing everything according to God's purposes. Even the death of Jesus was a part of God's plan that he knew all that was going to happen leading up to Jesus' death and all that was going to happen following Jesus' death. Although I am sure the disciples were wondering, Jesus, what is going on? Why are all these things happening? How can we find hope if you're going to be killed? And Jesus told them many times, this is the plan the Father has set forth. How does this provide a basis for our boldness? God's sovereignty and authority means that he is governing all things so that his mission will be accomplished. That everything God allows to happen is to further advance his kingdom. That when we participate in God's mission to declare the gospel to the ends of the earth, it does not mean that we are engaging in mission impossible or even engaging in mission probable. It means that we are engaging in mission guaranteed. That God has said, I will have all nations bow down before me, that my name will be declared to all people. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church, this is Jesus speaking, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
that even the strongest thing that stands in opposition to the kingdom of God cannot stop him from advancing forward. Even though these religious leaders came forward and this is the time when if the gospel messages are going to be squelched out, this is going to be the moment because this is when they've faced their first opposition since Jesus has left. That these religious leaders had every opportunity. They're like, now we're going to squelch them out. That the message is not going to go any further. And Peter and John say, we're going to continue telling the truth about Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that nothing is going to stop this mission. And this passage is showing us that when we are bold, when we face opposition, not if we face opposition, but when we face opposition, that even through opposition, God works to accomplish his mission. In verses 3 and 4, and they arrested them. So Peter and John arrested And the religious leaders put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. In the next verse we see, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That even in their best efforts to stop the spread of the gospel, people are still believing and coming to saving faith in Jesus. That God is sovereignly governing over all things to accomplish his mission, even through allowing unrighteous, unjust, unkind kings and rulers. Nothing stops God from accomplishing his mission. So we've seen the need for boldness. We've seen the basis for our boldness. Now we'll see the gift of Boldness, Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What reassurance that must have been for them that they're praying, they finish their prayer, and then God's like, I'm going to give you a little notice that I heard your prayer, that the room shakes. In order for us to be bold, we need God to give us this type of boldness. Why is it that these Christians are praying for boldness in the first place? It's because they recognize that they don't have it in and of themselves. And that's exactly what God does through the Holy Spirit. He's reminding them that, hey, you don't need to be afraid because I am with you. I am near. I am with you in your suffering and opposition, and I know your needs. This is one of the amazing things about Christianity, that God gives us everything that is required of us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we need boldness to accomplish God's mission, he gives it to us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the one who works that boldness inside of us. The way he does that is by taking the head knowledge that we just talked about. That we all know that God is sovereign. And that means that God is in control of everything. But do we always believe that in our hearts? That we know God loves us. 
But do we believe that when we've fallen into sinful temptation again, we're like, can God really forgive me for falling again and disobeying him? Or we know that God is everywhere at all times and the Holy Spirit lives in us, but sometimes we feel really alone and scared. The Holy Spirit helps take the head knowledge that we know and brings it to our hearts so that we can believe and act in light of that. That the Holy Spirit is working it deep down into our hearts. The fact that God gives us boldness through his Holy Spirit means that boldness is not just some personality trait that some people have and other people don't. Some of you, if I were to ask, hey, next Sunday, I'd love for you to come up and just boldly declare your testimony to the church. Some of you might jump at that opportunity. Others of you might be like, no way. Are you going to get me in front of everyone? And you might think like, I don't have the personality. I don't have that kind of gifting. But what this is telling us is that boldness is not a personality trait that some people have and other people don't. It's telling us that boldness is something the Holy Spirit gifts to us. It isn't something that we have to conjure up and just muster and work really hard at, that we don't have to look inside of ourselves and find the boldness, that if you just look deep enough, you'll find the boldness that you need. And that same boldness that we read about in Peter and John and these early Christians and the Apostle Paul as we'll continue through the book of Acts all found their boldness in the same spirit that indwells us if we are followers of Jesus. That that same boldness they have is available to us and the simplest way to get it is exactly what these early Christians were doing. They prayed and they asked God to give it to them. Just as, as we've seen in weeks past that if you pray for God to bring someone into your life to share the gospel to, that that's a prayer he's going to answer. That if we pray for boldness, that that's a prayer God is going to answer in our hearts. That we need to be bold and proclaim that message of Jesus, that he came to earth to die in our place, to rise again, to offer us salvation so that we can have a relationship with that all-powerful God. And so we take all this, and point number four is kind of our application of this, the practice of boldness is, what does this actually look like in your life and mine to have boldness? Verses 29 through 30 says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Practicing boldness simply means speaking about Jesus. It doesn't mean to be really aggressive and hostile about Jesus. 
I was talking to, to some who attend. They went to Missouri S&T, and they shared about this guy who would come on campus and kind of stand on a soapbox and have this microphone and really aggressively proclaim a message to them about how they're all going to hell and that Jesus is the way. And he's got some truth in there, but the way he is doing it is very hostile and very aggressive and almost violent in his speech. But what we see and what's modeled through us throughout the book of Acts, as some have put, is to be winsome and wise and respectful. That this is the example for us. It does not mean to be brash or harsh or aggressive, or in your face about Jesus. This boldness that they're talking about going to proclaim the message of Jesus is, to simply put it, they talked about Jesus. And I think that's a problem that most of us have. It's not that we are too outspoken about Jesus but it's that we're not speaking about Jesus at all. That we might like getting to know our neighbors and our coworkers or the parents on our kids' soccer team. We might go and enjoy serving in the city. And all of those are good things, and don't misunderstand me. Those are good things. Those are necessary first steps to building bridges and relationships with people. But we need to remember what the point of building a bridge is. It's to get something to the other side. And for us, when we're building those relationships, what we're trying to get to the other side is the message of Jesus. That those first steps are only first steps towards the final steps of sharing Jesus with other people. That we don't only want to share the gospel in deed, but also in word. That when we are truly enthralled with what God has done for us, that we cannot help but tell other people about it. That God in his goodness and in his mercy and in his sovereignty set his affection on us that he was going to send Jesus to come to earth to die for us. That he died for you. That he died for me, not because he did anything wrong, but because he loved us. And when we truly believe, when we truly know that truth and believe in our hearts, our response would be, I can't wait till I get to tell other people about Jesus. And that continuing that statement that when we are truly enthralled with what God has done for us, we don't take much stock in earthly circumstances or opinions of others because we are bold for him. That we have all that we need in our hearts to be bold for Jesus. That God even gives us help. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us everything that we need in order to be bold for him. But the question we need to ask is, 
if we aren't proclaiming that message to others, why is it? Is it that we know and believe the gospel, but we're nervous, we're scared, we don't know how people are going to respond to the message? Because the message of the gospel starts off with some really bad news. That all of us are in rebellion against God. And who likes to be told that they're doing something wrong? Like, oh, by the way, you, you did that wrong. I hate when I'll, I'll send an email sometimes and someone respond like, hey, I think you put the wrong date. And I spend the rest of the day like beating myself up. Like, I can't believe I didn't look at a calendar. And we feel really bad. And that's kind of what the gospel does to people. Like they hear that and they, they're like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like being told that I'm wrong. But the best part about the gospel is that in spite of the badness of our own sinfulness, that God still loved us and that Jesus died for us. And yeah, sometimes it might be easier if only the really bold and extroverted people who had the gift of public speaking just got microphones all the time and proclaimed the message of Jesus so not all of us had to. But God calls all of us, not just those who are extremely gifted in ways of public speaking, not those that have really good relational personalities, not those who have higher education, but God calls all people, all followers of him, to be his disciples and to boldly proclaim that great message of Jesus. That that message doesn't need us to make it cool, doesn't need us to make it relevant. We don't have to come up with really quippy phrases so that people believe the gospel. All we need to do is talk about Jesus and let the Spirit do the rest of the work in their hearts.